0: Hi everyone, it's Jay Humphrey here and you're listening to the High Performance Podcast, our gift to you for free every single week that takes the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers and turns them into your life lessons. And I feel a bit sad really because this is the third and final episode of the Gallagher Leadership Series with the High Performance Podcast where we have spoken to three top leaders in the world of rugby about their learnings and their lessons and their failings and the things they've discovered along the way. And thank you so much for the amazing feedback. Um, It's been remarkable to see so many of you getting in touch, telling us that you're learning a lot from the three guests or the two guests so far who've joined us. Today, of course, is the third and final episode and you are not alone in listening to this. This week alone, I had a text message from um, a national football coach I had a phone call and a couple of messages from three Premier League football managers and all of them wanted to talk about the conversations we're having on this podcast. So when you're sitting in your car or when you're walking your dog or when you're travelling to work and you're listening to this podcast thinking, who else is listening? Those are the kinds of people who are listening. And today, on this episode, the final Gallagher Leadership Series episode, you can hear this kind of conversation from the High Performance Podcast.
1: If I fail in what I'm trying to do, it will never be for lack of trying. I was not a talented rugby player, and not gifted particularly physically, but the thing you, you've got to have is, is, if you're clear on what you want to do, Is if you fail, you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say it wasn't for lack of trying. So that's, that's where I was driven by. Amazing what can be achieved when nobody cares who gets the credit. And I, I don't know who said it, but I don't care who gets credit credit I just want the people I work with to just keep getting better myself to get better I think one of the changes we've got is the players focusing upon now and I'd say that's one of the pleasing things just keep just focus on now what can I do today to be better when someone comes in they're either giving energy or they're taking it just nothing's neutral so you've got to give energy you've got to give energy to it you walk in a room you've got to give energy to that room you can't take energy away from it
0: So joining us on this episode is the head coach of the Leicester Tigers, Steve Borthwick and they're top of the table as I record this at the top of the uh, Gallagher Premiership and you might be thinking well he's had a successful career, he's captained England, he's played at the elite level, he's now in charge of Leicester and they're top of the table so how much can I learn from someone who's been that successful? Well, we will of course talk about the successes that Steve's enjoyed along the way but we will also talk about the challenges and the difficult times this is someone who dedicated so much of his life to the sport that he ended up not just getting more than 50 caps for England he ended up as the England captain he ended up as the man who was selected as captain by Martin Johnson who of course is a leader and a legend in the world of rugby which in itself is a huge vote of confidence but then He came under incredible criticism and it was a challenging time for England rugby. We're going back over 10 years here, but Steve was at the centre of the storm. How did he deal with that? What was it like being dragged through the press, being criticised, having your name called out? What was it like when his international career was ended with injury? What was it like when he finally decided that he wanted to... Go for it in the world of coaching. And he found it challenging and demanding and difficult. How does he make the decisions he makes on a daily basis to create a culture? How does he spread one message that impacts so many different lives? There is a brilliant, brilliant story in here for teachers and for parents and for young people and any leader across any walk of life. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode with Steve Borthwick. I thought it was really thoughtful, really insightful. And he's a really smart guy. I just want to say though, before we get going, these episodes, all three of them, would not be possible without the wonderful people at Gallagher. Thank you to them so much for wanting to create the Gallagher Leadership Series. If you don't know much about Gallagher, well, they are your trusted insurance broker and they work with small businesses. They work with the largest businesses in the world. They work with sole traders. They work with individuals. And if you're looking for someone to help you navigate that world and deal with the worst happening, then Gallagher may well be a good option for you. I love them because they've been named by Ethisphere as one of the world's most ethical companies for the last 10 years consecutively. So if you want to find out more about Gallagher, who've um, been operating the Gallagher way since 1927, all you need to do is visit AIG.com for more information. And I just want to say that, of course, they're the proud title partner of Premiership Rugby. They've been doing that since 2018. But this was really important for them to create this series because they wanted to give you for free an opportunity to hear from leaders in rugby and to realise that it isn't always as simple as it seems. So enjoy the episode. Thanks very much for coming back for more. It's the final conversation in the Gallagher Leadership Series with the High Performance Podcast. Well, Steve, welcome to High Performance for a conversation about learning from experience. It's lovely to have you with us. Let's start with, in your mind, what is high performance?
1: What is high performance? Um, so firstly, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Um, I, I think I'd like to probably answer that question when I actually discover what it is, and I'm not sure I fully have. Um, the, from my point of view, I'm pretty clear about what I want to work upon at any point in time and get really good people working really hard at it and then learning quickly as we go and being able to adapt. And I'm not sure whether that's high performance, um, because I think we're all striving to try and get there, and I'm not sure we ever actually achieve it. I don't know. I'll t- maybe I'll tell you when I think I've achieved it, but I don't think I have yet. So um, from my point of view, that, 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 that comes back to being real clear on objective, clear upon the people you're working with, enjoy working with them, and... Um, but work really, really hard. And then I'd, I'd probably say one of the things with that, I'd say a potential strength is that being able to change quickly. So I'd, I'm quite happy to just say, if I admit I'm wrong, just admit I'm wrong and change the path quickly. And let's let's get on with that some. Um, yeah, and whether that's a high performance, whether it's a definition of high I don't know. But maybe one day I'll be able to, to, to tell you more conclusively where it is.
0: Well, let's start at that point then about failure and mistakes can you pinpoint the biggest mistake or failure in your career that
1: you learned a lot from i'd say there was mistakes all the way along some i've learned quicker than others and probably one of the biggest aspects of in my development was treating things as, as learnings rather than getting stuck in a way you when you go through those spells and you 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 think you think you're doing it right and you can't believe why it's not working out and maybe you've just gotta be a bit more adaptable than what you were. I can think of experiences when I was a schoolboy, captaining my schoolboy team and making mistakes there and thinking, crikey, I've got to do this differently. Because that right from back then I was always thinking about how do we get how do we get better? How do we absolutely get better? I remember winning a schoolboy rugby game and we won it by 40 points and post the game, asking the teachers to leave the room because I wanted to dress the the, the players in person because it wasn't good enough performance. And I'm 17 years old or 16 years old, I can't remember what I was. And then saying, we're all doing extra training on Monday. I want you there because we're not fit enough. But then you realize that maybe that ain't the right way to do it, that probably wasn't good. Probably needed to be more empathetic. So certainly try to learn as I went about being a bit more empathetic.
2: But can we take you back to that 17 year old in that dressing room, Steve, because you know, as a coach, that that's almost utopia for a player-led group like that to be driving each other on to improve standards. So where did that come from, that willingness to stand out and demand higher standards from your own peer group?
1: Just wanted to win. I remember this this period pre, going back a few years before that. I remember I was 14 years old. And the reason I remember I was 14 years old at this point, because you could become a member of the local gym in the leisure centre when you were 14 years old and I remember at that point why I remember this because I said I dreamed of playing for England and I was just a kid I'd only been playing rugby I'd only picked a rugby ball up for the first time when I was 11 so I'd been playing rugby three years and I dreamed of playing for England and I'd used to watch England play on the TV and used to get when when they sang the national anthem you know, the hairs on the back and neck stand up and I remember why I'm this, because I used to go into that gym when I was 14 years old and said to myself, I'd set myself these ridiculous targets on the rowing machine or the runner or whatever it was, because I had no idea about how to train properly. You'd say, if I don't make this, I will never play for England. It didn't matter what it was, you'd find a way of making it, you'd fall off the rower or fall, you just... And that was the thing I always said to myself was, if I fail in what I'm trying to do, it will never be for lack of trying. I was not a talented rugby player. Um, not gifted particularly physically. But the, the thing you, you've got to have is, is if you sit clear on what you want to do, is if you fail, you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say it wasn't for lack of trying. So that's, that's where I was driven by.
2: But then how did you balance that up at that sort of adolescent stage of life with the need to want to fit in and be popular, with that desire to want to excel and stand out?
1: That, that's probably then was a weakness of mine. The, through some of the early part as a, as a player was then um, people are driven by different things and people are different and if you treat everybody the same like, it doesn't it doesn't work so in this journey run, and as I keep trying to learn is how do I do things better which just comes back to the first question you asked me and I wasn't trying to wasn't trying to be clever or anything we try Leicester Tigers try to run the best program we possibly can get good people around and then i've got i think i'm generally pretty good at saying when i've got it wrong or quickly learning and doing it better because we keep just trying to do it better we're only just 20 months into what we're trying to do here and so in 20 months we're trying to cover a lot of ground quickly so you've got to learn fast and that's that's probably goes all the way back i'm again still really clear on what i want to do and if we fail it won't be for lack of trying but we'll learn fast we'll learn really fast
0: And how do you feel now about being popular? Because when you're the coach of one of the biggest rugby clubs in the country and you want to get those players on the side, but also you do have to please the fans and please the board and please the media, or at least some people do. Is there an element of your decision-making that comes down to how will that play out with other people?
1: I I think in the position I'm in, I I can't, you can't please all the people all the time. Every week I've got um, all these great rugby players who all want to play. And I can only pick fifteen of them in the starting team, and then eight of them to come on and finish the game. So in- inevitably, there are going to be people that are disappointed. And um, the, the biggest thing um, in terms of that would be treating people respectfully. I-, I want to treat people respectfully, and then I want myself, my coaches, to be treated respectfully because we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to. But we're all trying to be to do the right thing. We're trying to get better and trying to do the right thing by. People and then for the for the supporters and I'd say they don't expect us to win every game, but I do want to make sure they're proud of their team and and this and I say this consistently to the players. You you got to be proud of what you do. You, it doesn't mean you're going to win. And I told them a story about the 2000 and I think it was 2011 Premiership final, and I was playing and captain in Saracens and. The, the clock had run dead and we're defending on our own goal line. And I think I think we're winning by four points. So they, they can't kick a goal a penalty goal to win. They need to score a try to win. And they had a player, it was one of the, I, my, my memory's vague, but it's one of the two Lange boys on the touchline, a brilliant player. And, and if they'd got the ball to him, because we were defending our own goal line for about eight minutes afterwards, after the 80 minutes was up. And if they'd got the ball to him, We weren't going to be able to stop it, but they couldn't get, they say if somebody had managed to pull off one miracle pass, they win, we lose, but they didn't pull off that pass. So we won, they lost. And and I said, boys, you can't be defined by um, whether that pass happens or not. You You just can't live your life like that. So suddenly, yes, I'd have been, I'm happy we won. I'd have been sad if we'd lost, but you can't, go around built on whether a pass happens or not. You, you've got to say, right? we put in something we're real proud of. We did everything we possibly could. Today it was good enough or it wasn't good enough, but either way we're going to get better. And that's that's very much kind of the message I have. I'm going to try my best and I want to want to treat people respectfully and I want the supporters to be proud of their team. And if we could do that, I think we're, we're a long way towards success.
2: Well, let me take you back then, Steve, to that 14 year old ambition that you had to go and play for England and then when you finally got there and not only did you play for them but you captained them during that 2008 uh, autumn international and then the Six Nations a year after now you re- you almost seem to be scapegoated a lot there for the for the wider um performance of that England team so how did you deal with that at that time. So you've achieved an ambition and then you're getting hammered and you're demanding this idea of being treated with respect. Tell us about how you process that.
1: You can probably tell you as as we, as we chat that I, I care about people being treated with respect. I care about treating people respectfully. We're all some of our experiences and going through those experiences of, of captaining my country That's informed me in the way I go about things now. We can't just go through absolutely good times, win all the time and just learn from those. There's other times, there's tough times. And the fact was I was able to play for England and I was captain in my country. And yeah, was it a challenging period? It was most definitely a challenging period. I wanted us to win more games. We all wanted us to win more games and we didn't. And i I remember the the team hotel one day walking back into my room thinking to myself, it was certainly a tough period, and you're thinking how to get through this, what's going on what where what's the next term what's happening next and and you go you think in six months' time or in a year's time, this isn't gonna feel like this the the rawness of these emotions is is not going to be there, and this is going to be uh, you're gonna be better one way or another for going through this ultimately. Did I make mistakes? Is is kind of were mistakes made? Yeah, they absolutely were. Would I want them to win more games? Yeah. There's very few people around to be bigger supporters of the England rugby team than me. So I want England, whether whether I was a player, whether I was a captain, a coach, wherever. I just want the England team to win. Those experiences kind of definitely shape the way you think, and it informs you for the future.
0: What was the criticism, Steve, in that period that either stung you the most or kind of represented how? How little empathy some people can have for others.
1: I wouldn't particularly say that there was one thing that stung. I'd probably say that the 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 team lacked alignment. The team, the whole period we were in there, lacked an alignment about what we were trying to do and how we were going about it. And. That then made things very difficult. And as captain I'm, i I have to take a large amount of responsibility for that. And and I do the the the, the aspect is you you gotta play well. And as a captain, if you if you got your place in the team questioned, and that's what it was, you've you got a place the team and questioned, and it's very hard to lead. You gotta play well. So people ask me about leadership and, and, and Firstly, play well. Uh, and I think that's so Martin Johnson was in charge at that point in time. And, and I think it's something he'd said as, a, as when he was post-2003. So what's the first, as captain, what do you think? First thing, play well. So first thing about leaders, you've got to play well. And so from my point of view, want to play better.
0: And what about now when you're in charge at Leicester? What are, the, what are the key lessons from that time specifically? You said, you know, it informed the way that you lead and manage now.
1: The way I try and do my job now is informed by millions of different things and experiences along the way. And that was just one small period. That was a two-year period from 2008 to 2010. Um, I was fortunate to play 16 years professionally, and then I used to moved off to Japan and coached the Japan team and coached in a different country, then came back, met all kinds of different coaches on that journey. And everyone's a teacher in some way. I learned so much of my little boys. I've got two little boys and I learned enormous amounts of them. Like what, for example? Going back to last summer. And, and I said this to the team because this, this made me think. Going back to last summer, with a paddling pool, one just in the patio. And my two little boys said, are you getting the paddling pool with us? And I said, of course, yeah. Of course you do. Um, nice sunny day and there's the water's freezing cold and I am quite literally just dipping my toe in, just starting to try and get into this paddling pool. And my two little boys sprint past me, just jump in water spraying you and it's freezing cold and they could not care less. It's freezing cold, and it takes their breath away, and you can see them like, gasp. It's a cold, palpable. Pal- 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 and and I thought to myself, I- here I am, uh, well, yeah, 40 or 42 now, and you you dip your toe in because you're, you're worried because it's going to be cold or whatever, and the two little boys just don't know it, but don't care, just jump in. And and when you look at it, I said this, I said, boys, like you, you can dip your toe into what we're trying to do here. You can dip your toe in, or you can just jump right in, and we'll have some <laughs> interesting experiences. But let's try, let's try and jump right in, like little kids do, and probably like when you were just a. And I, I don't know, you, Damien, you boxed, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't know whether you still get in the ring. I don't know whether, you, but when you're just a little kid and you just jump, on. I, I grew up playing football. I know I wanted to, I only wanted to be a professional footballer. I just dreamed of playing for Preston North End. And mistakes, you don't care, you just, just want to play. And you, you set up leagues and you play football in the street, you don't care, let's just play. And then suddenly you start thinking about all the what-ifs and all the mistakes and you start just dipping your toe in. And when does that start?
2: When did that start for you, That that maybe that cautiousness or... Not or not going all in, as one of our previous guests, Stephen Gerrard said.
1: I don't fully know, but I think it's harder for young young people these days than it was when I was a player. You know, the young people these days have got all the different things of social media and and aspects that they're just getting scrutinised far more than ever before. And so things go well, they get praised, things go badly. And 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 the reality is you it's never you're never that good and you're never that bad. It's always somewhere in the middle. But you hear stories about sports where players checking phones at halftime, checking social media. I've heard that. Now, thankfully, that that ain't ever happened in the change room I've been in. But I've heard you hear these things, and you think, "Wow!" And so, where it starts, at, I don't know. But that the innocence of of that youth, where they start, people start overthinking things. Let's just jump right in and let's let's have a real go at things. And if if we get it wrong, we'll learn. And we'll, we'll, but let's pro- let's properly have a go. Could I just ask then Steve, for for people
0: listening to this, what advice from from the way that you've got your players to think in that way, would you pass on to teachers and to leaders in business and to parents that are struggling to, you know, they just say, come on, just go for it. But it's difficult for people to just do that when you just tell them to do that. I'd be interested to know whether there's any techniques that you've employed effectively to to give your players what I guess is probably freedom as much as anything else. Isn't it mental freedom?
1: so my boys uh, little boys like to climb so finally you go for a walk if I had a tree they want to climb a tree the bit inside you going I don't want them to climb that tree because that's, that's a high tree and you want them to come down and you don't want them up there because if they fall they're going to get hurt and you're going but they need to climb a tree and they, they want to climb a tree and if I just overly ever let them get to six foot off the ground because then I can hold on to them the whole time then they're probably not going to get very high in other aspects of life but you're still there underneath him, and you're thinking. Even if he's 15 foot up, you're still there going, "I'll catch him, I'll catch him." Um, but they don't know that. Uh, they're, they're, you're just you're letting them be. And, and I think from from my point of view, is is encouraging the players to to give the very best of themselves um, to understand that. That there are going to be mistakes, and they are because we want to push it to, to the edge of their abilities, so things are going to go wrong. But then they're not going to be judged by that. They're not going to be defined by that, that we're going to say, yeah, I'm going to treat you all every player here equally. I'm going to treat you all differently, but I'm going to treat everybody here equally. And there's some things that are going to be non-negotiable, but I want you to try it hardest. And, and if you drop a ball, then I'll try and coach it better.
0: But then your challenge is, you say these things and they're looking at you going, you might be saying that, Steve, but I know that if I mess up in training, I don't make the team come the weekend. That's that's the challenge for you, is to to provide that safety blanket for them, isn't it? But then still make the tough decisions.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the, um, the environment we're in and everybody signs up to it. Nobody forced me to want to play for England. Nobody forced me to... Except being in captain, nobody forced me to be Leicester Tigers head coach. Nobody forces you to do any of that. We have agency over what we do, so players want to get involved in what we do. It's tough, we're privileged. People say they talk about sportsmen being lucky. Somebody said that to me very early in my career, You're lucky, and I said, I'm not sure I'm lucky. I said, I work bloody hard, I'm privileged to do what I do I'm privileged to have the opportunity to do what I do and and we're involved in elite sport through this last couple of years when big areas of society have actually been locked down quite literally locked down professional sport has been able to carry on so that's a privilege um, so we're privileged to do what we do with that there, there are man. we have to perform this to a, to a high standard I'd love to still be a professional rugby player I'd still love to play I can't I can't physically do it, so he stopped doing it. I suppose where it comes back to, your question, is I want the players to be the best they can be, and then I want to try and improve that level. My job as a coach is to try and get them to be the best and then improve that level. Then ultimately, they know there's only 15 shirts to start the game. So everyone's working towards being one of the best to be in that 15.
2: Now, Steve, I know you're a, like, like speaking to people that we having like friends we have in common, they tell me about your your real detail focus, your willingness to uh, to look at everything. And I also like that when you were at Saracens, you had that that measure in your game review of the shit that nobody else sees. So I'm interested of what are the details that those of us outside of your world wouldn't see? that are the things that make the real difference when it comes to driving your team for high performance. I do love that idea that it's like the Albert Einstein quote, that, that not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. So I'm interested in terms of you, like in modern day sport, you can measure, you've got GPS, you've got stats and facts coming out of your ears. How do you discern from the noise and go, that's the thing that's going to tell me whether we've got that alignment that you said was maybe missing? when you were England captain.
1: If I, if I talk about this period, the last 20 months that I've been at Leicester Tigers, then um, somebody said to me before I started, he said um Leicester Tigers, he said they're a team that go away and nothing could be further from the truth in the way that I go about where I want to be and how I want to be to be a team that goes away. So that's before I started. So pretty much on the first day I started, I said, this is how we're seen. This is how we seem. And and if you're a team that goes away, you can't be proud of it. you can't be proud of what you're doing. And you and you can't you don't really support us, how can you support us to be proud if you're a team that go away? So boy some Leicester Tigers, so this is I played against Leicester Tigers a lot of times. The toughest you sometimes you won, sometimes you lost. More often than not, you lost against them. Um, but Craig, he knew it was going to be a tough game. And I said, so guys, I'll talk about tactics. I'll talk about our training methodology. I'll talk about the techniques we're going to use. Um, and I said, but, but the thing, we, we can't be a team that goes away. And, um, and I, so you can measure that to some extent, because I went and looked at it. And I've looked at, in, in the two years previous, 12 times the team had been in winning positions and lost the game. So, uh, you, so you can measure it. But as said, before we can come anywhere near the team we want to be, we can't be a team that goes away. So, And how do you
0: make a decision on the right kinds of people to come on that journey with you, Steve? Damien talks often about cultural architects, the people that will distribute your message around the team even when you're not with them. How do you go about assessing the right kind of people to be in
1: your space. One, one of the things I've found here is surrounding yourself with people who know more than you are better, better than you at things and then are going to be willing to point things out to you. So I'm fortunate that there's, there's people I have around us that a good. Aled Walters, um, he's a brilliant coach, brilliant person. And has such an incredible feel. So you got to write. I wanna this guy thinks differently to this guy thinks different to me and I want to trust his view. And I think he's he's incredible. So I'm fortunate to have him. Kevin Simfield, who we've mentioned, who I could talk about his coaching, which I think is excellent, and the results I saw that, but just as a person, people just want to work for him. Wanna work for him. And yeah. So to have him sitting, sitting next to us at games where he's he's got this feel and a calmness about him, he's just got a calm aura that just he walks into a room and there's Respect, and there's I've got a multitude of people like that that I'm surra- surrounded by, who know so much more than I do. I just grab the the wisdom to listen to them,
2: but also the lack of ego to listen to them as well. Because surely in your role, there comes sort of a sense that the final say is on uh, is with you. So how do you get out of your own way to listen to all these diverse, different voices?
1: Well, I think everybody has an, has an ego by accepting the responsibility of being captain because no one makes you captain. You accept that responsibility by accepting the responsibility of head coach, you know that, that you accept the responsibility, you accept the accountability for it as well. So people want the responsibility, but not the accountability you accept the accountability. So I've always been willing to accept the accountability. So yes, the decision-making process is, is clear and you know where it, where it stops for, I think one of the big things goes as well, amazing what can be achieved when nobody cares who gets the credit. And I I don't know who said it, but I don't care who gets credit. I just want the people I work with to just keep getting better, myself to get better.
0: Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Steve Borthwick, the final episode of the Gallagher Leadership Series. I just want to let you know that if you're enjoying this episode, then you can get access to even more people in the world of rugby having enlightening conversations. In fact, check out this clip. This is Ben Earle talking about Owen Farrell in the Gallagher Rivals Together series. Have a quick listen.
1: I think someone we probably both know very well is Owen. Yeah. And I'd say he's in that category. He doesn't let you have a bad training session does he because
0: the standards if you're a couple of percent off you you, well you're firstly hearing about it even if you're not aware about it then like it definitely raises the standard um i mean yeah like everyone talks about obviously he's been out injured for a couple of weeks with us the standard of training when he comes back is like is mental it's night and day um and that's just not like that anyone else is is like not good enough it's just that he's wired differently in that regard is that he wants the best um, and he'll only accept the best. And that is so motivating for you as a, as a teammate, but also for
1: someone for me to learn off.
0: It's really good. If you want more of that and more insight from the likes of Danny Kerr, Freddie Burns, Benno Urbano on their own leadership journeys in the Gallagher Premiership, then just head to Gallagher's YouTube channel and watch all the episodes. You can also find a link to that in our show notes. Anyway, enough from me. Back to the episode. Let's carry on, Steve, just talking about the team around you because so many people listen to this podcast who run teams and they will be listening going, well, I have a bunch of people around me, but I don't kind of feel like they ever really talk the truth to me. So what have you said to your team? So they are absolutely clear that you need the truth, you need to be pushed, you need accountability, you need honesty, you need openness, you need vulnerability. Can you talk us through some of those conversations or maybe what you say when you first work with someone so they really understand the kind of leader that you want to be and the kind of atmosphere you're
1: trying to create. It's, it, I think there's a, there's a two, two-way two thing there because um, you, I, I've done different jobs as assistant coaches. I've done different jobs as captain. Or, and, and I used to think everything is just so simple. I remember as a captain of a team once telling the coaches to leave the field because they're getting in our way. And they're stopping me captain of the team. You know, I turn around, we've done something wrong, and I've got four different coaches on the pitch having four different conversations, with different groups of players, which means I can't deal with things. I told them to get off the pitch. And you go, right, that's simple. I mean, there's nothing personal. I don't have any criticism of them. We just lost the opening game of the season. And it felt to me like the coaches were trying to overcome. I-, I don't know what they were trying to do. And I said, just get off the pitch. And I probably used a bit other language to be a bit more blunt, and um, and I didn't mean anything personally by it, but it did. It undoubtedly offended some people, and I, I just at that point when I was young didn't understand that. Just I'll just tell you what I think, and all, all we care about is just being the best team we can be. But it does, you know. People are so. There's how you deliver it, and there's also how you receive it. And, and certainly now in, in the position I'm in, that's how I deliver. And there's also how I receive and, and there's quite clearly I can, if I, if I receive things in a certain manner, people will be very, very reticent to come forward again. So I'm always making sure that I receive information in the right way. What, what is
0: the right way then, Steve?
1: Um, the Right way for me would be acknowledge, thank, be grateful for it. Even if you, your initial thing is to disagree, be grateful and, and there's a lot to be said for gratitude and trying to practice gratitude. Um, so I'll make sure I'm grateful to them. Um, I will make sure if people disagree with me, I'll ask for evidence. So that's an upfront thing. You, you come, come forward, disagree with me, but come with evidence because the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, well, where's your evidence for this? And if you don't have evidence and you feel it's a gut, you know, it's a gut feel, wherever it's a feeling, no worries, just acknowledge it. Just acknowledge that's what you're thinking, and then I try not to act upon my initial reaction because sometimes that that's not a great way to be. The other thing I'd, be, I'd probably be clear about was there are other avenues to deliver the information so if, if I, I was very blunt I't didn't, I didn't mind if I, if I wanted to say something to some to my head, my coaches, I'd tell I'd tell them other people necessarily aren't quite like that. so there are other avenues. I share an office with somebody who's far more experienced than I am. He's brilliant. And I won't tell you his age on really, it, but he's got an incredible manner by him. So he's always, a people can always talk to him and he'll deliver it to me. And he he can always tell us the home truths if you, if you need him delivered. And having avenues like that, I think that's also, I'd say I'm pretty accessible, but some people might not say that, but there is always a route to deliver any information to me. Um, but going back to you say being respectful of people, what they've got to say, why they've got to say it and being grateful to them for it.
2: And how much was these lessons that you've learned, how much of that was informed by that fascinating experience you had of going out to Japan and coaching there where I assume when you first went, the language barrier might have been an obstacle for you where you've still got to get people to buy into your philosophy and your teaching without necessarily having the tools of being blunt or direct that you maybe have had at Saracens and when you were in England.
1: There's a, there a couple of things. So we played um, played a game, a stadium in, in Tokyo called Prince Chichibunimiya Stadium. And I, might, I might got the pronunciation wrong. Um, so we played an international there. I think, I mean, Japan versus Canada, Japan versus USA. And um, we made a substitution. And and I was forwards coach, coaching the line out there. And and we played this line out play. I could see all the players were about to play the play. And we just put substitution on. And suddenly he was going, walking into the line. I know the people here aren't rugby fans, so the ball is thrown in from the touchline and there's certain players got to jump or be lifted to win the ball. It's then passed out and other players in the back line and play the attacking options and carry the ball into contact and get us over the game. The player would just per should have gone into the back line. And he went into the line and I could see this happening and I couldn't understand why it was happening. And inevitably we didn't win the ball. It, it, it messed up. And the next day I got the group together of callers, leaders, and, and I said, can you just talk me through this? And they said, oh, well, we'd called the play and then the substitution was made, but then I said, yes. And then there was a break and you could have easily changed the play. And they said, yeah, yeah. But the player who'd come on said he could do it. And I said, right, okay. Had he practised it once? No. How did, he, did you have confidence he could do it? No. So I said, You see, you're putting somebody in a position there that he's never practiced, doesn't have the skill set to do it. You're setting him up to fail. And no, not one of you said, Counted it. Not one of you said, This is not the right thing to do. And not nobody had said anything. I said, guys, so understanding about the culture of respect. Um, and I said, Boys, Do you think that's respectful? Do you think that's the right thing? Do you think that was respectful to putting somebody in a position someone he couldn't do? And, and ultimately, we, had, we started having a, a longer conversation about this and, and ultimately it became, no, no. And, and, but somebody needs to step forward and speak there. So suddenly you're going, right, wow, this is very different to me. This is very different. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see that coming at all and you're going, right, this is how I need to coach. This is what, this is what I need to coach. This isn't, this isn't the nuts and bolts of how you lift somebody or how you carry the ball into contact. It's that, but it's all this other stuff um, and, and being able to coach. And then playing, we played an international first game. We played, I think, against a tier one test team. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, the players here, they're, they're so harmonious and respectful and they're beautiful people just a beautiful culture I love Japan and I'm thinking to myself wow if we if we respect too much here we could get blown away early and I remember distinctly teaching the forwards before that week not about fighting because you don't fight you don't throw punches anymore in rugby but you wrestle and you grab hold of people and you stand up for your friends and you stand up and you show we're not backing down and all that I remember showing the players how to do because I'd never once seen the Japan forwards do it And I said, so, boys, this is how you do it, and this is how you grab him, and this is how you do it, and this is how you stand, and this is how you wrestle. The thing people call handbags, but it's showing you're not going to back down. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm coaching this. But the players, because they were brave people, brave players, tough players, hard players, but they needed – I thought there was something different, and, and they needed that. He realized, wow, I'm coaching this. Because I think they need it, and thinking the next day thinking, "Wow, I could get somebody sent off. I, I don't know what's going to happen. And, but in the first five minutes, in the first five minutes, the whole forward pack stands up and says, "We're not going backwards." and, and thinking, right. So the coaching isn't just about crosses on a whiteboard and you go here and you do that. It's, it's all kinds of things about the culture. So that, that experience of going to Japan. I just feel very very lucky that I had that experience and I am using the word lucky there and um, I feel very lucky I had that opportunity to go to Japan beautiful place beautiful country beautiful culture
0: and um, what we're talking about here Steve is learning from experience so that was obviously a key experience in your life and the most recent experience is is coaching and, and running Leicester Tigers so taking on board everything you learned to the point where you walked into that club I'd love to know What the first thing you decided to say to the team and to the players was to get them on board, let them know what you expected. And also, as important as anything else, let them know who had just walked in the door. Can you take us back to how you formulated your greeting to that club and
1: and how you delivered it? Drafted it about a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. Went through it over and over in my head. I I know where I want to get across and how do I get this across to them. First thing we need to do is fight. And we can't be a team that goes away. Like, we just can't be that. You've got to fight. And I said, I'll be clear about how we're going to play. And, and I think you've got to be clear about how you want to play. You've got to be clear what you stand for and how you perceive. It. But that's all secondary to the behaviours that we want. And these are the behaviours. You've got to be fight for every single minute. And, and I use that term in terms of the fight in terms of the rugby sense. Um And that was that was really it. And, and that was the mess. That was the, if there was one thing I needed to get across to the team, that was it.
0: What about your first actions as well, Steve? So you've, you've said your first
1: words, what did you want to be seen to be doing on that first day? Took the team. We had the meeting at Welford Road in the stands because I wanted to do things differently. I wanted to make sure we were clear about what we're about, clear about what we stood for. Um, and it was very, very basic. I'm a really simple coach, guys. I'm really not trying to be a fake humility when I say that I'm a really simple coach. There's nothing fancy. There's nothing elaborate. So I want to be clear about what we stood for. And and I went to that stadium many many times and played in front of those supporters many many times on the opposing team. And I keep coming back to this thing about you you gotta you gotta be proud of what you do and you gotta feel part of something. And so I wanted players playing, feeling part of something, and, and proud of the 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 fight that they're going to have. And because we didn't have it, we're going to have it. That was the biggest thing I was going to coach was that. So took them to Welford Road, and said, "This is it. This is where um, this is this is our place. This is the the heart of Leicester Tigers, and you're the people who who kind of are going to make it work."
2: And I think it's fair to say, Steve, that given your position in the table at the minute, that people from outside would go, well, it is working. So when did you first sense that your simple methods were starting to take hold and it was starting to get buy-in?
1: So I'd say the person who deserves enormous credit is Alan Walters because he's got team fit. Um, but we got so far to go to where we want to be. And and that that's the thing that's pretty exciting for us in that I think there's so much more that we can go, we've got a very, very young team and we've got a bunch, a group of players that have come through the academy system that are young, they're in their early 20s and they just need to be coached real well and and so that then hopefully the team will be good in the future. So what I'm doing right now is still keeping it incredibly simple. We we play a game, we, we review it and by the lunchtime of two days after the game we don't talk about it anymore and then we're all about the next game. And I don't talk about anything further back, and I don't talk about anything further forward. We just work on it on that basis. And maybe that'll have to change at some point in the future, at some point in my coaching career, but that's, that's it. So I think one of the changes we've got is the players focusing upon now. And I'd say that's one of the pleasing things. Just, keep, just focus on now. What can I do today to be better?
2: Given that you've been involved in championship-winning teams... So you so you do have that experience of knowing what it takes and knowing where you need to get to. How do you assess where you are at this moment in time versus the experience you've got of knowing what's required?
1: I, I think that's one of the reasons why you start looking at people like Richard Wigglesworth, in, the, in the, he's a player and a coach, um, Kevin Simfield, Aled Walters. These people have won a lot, a lot. These people have been in those situations a lot and, and understand the behaviours of that and know more about it than I do. So that's leaning upon their experiences. That's vital for me. We want to be successful. We want to keep doing the right things each day. And I've got good people around me and good people around the team to help guide that journey.
2: Again, a big thing that like we might get chief execs or people in business listening to this, that they say, how long does it take to turn a team around? And we often talk about the five stages of the dream stage when you first come in and get everyone excited, the leap stage of getting people showing that they're going to buy into it, the fight stage where it gets tough, where you don't see the results fast enough, the climb stage where you see progress, and then the arrival stage where you're hoisting that trophy aloft and and enjoying the success. Where are you on on that five stage journey at the moment then?
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I've got my notes on my laptop of the, of that presentation I sat through where you spoke and presented a lot. And then I had a, we had a coffee afterwards and, I, and I, the, there's loads of interesting things that came from that. And I've used lots of those lessons along this way. I was introduced to a business model and I showed it to the players. It'd be some version of the Kubler-Ross curve, I think it is. And I, I drew it up on the, on the, the board one day and I said, it's, this, it's like a U shape curve. And I said, I, I don't know where on this curve we are now. I don't know. And I have done it, I did it a couple of times. And I said, I don't know where on this curve we are. Um, I don't know if this in the early days, I don't know if we're still going down, but this is what Leicester Tigers have done. I don't know if we've plateaued at the bottom yet. Um, maybe we've started the incline. I don't know. But our responsibility is this, and our opportunity is this. And so I said, when we've got this, we're going to go up. The team, the club is going to improve. The privilege we have is to be part of this. And the opportunity we have is to make that upward curve as steep as we possibly can. And how steep that is going to be is going to be dependent upon two things. It's going to be dependent, one, on how hard we work. And so let's make sure nobody works hard on us. And the second thing is how quick we learn. So let's make sure we learn faster than anybody else. So if we keep it to those two things, let's learn really fast, work really hard, learn really fast, work really hard. And let's not obsess about making mistakes because we're going to make them. Let's just accept we're going to make them because we're not perfect. Um, let's just learn really quick so we don't repeat them. And then we'll make that, that curve as steep as it possibly can. So I'll say the same thing to you. I have no idea where we are. We're somewhere on that, we're somewhere on that upward trajectory, but we, went, we were pretty low. You know, Leicester Tigers are the worst team. The win rate was by far the worst of any team in the premiership. The team should have been relegated had Saracens not um, been punished for for what they were punished for. So the team should have been in the championship and we weren't. So we were far behind any of the teams. So we've had to work hard, but I'll keep to those two things. Let's work really hard, learn really fast.
0: And as we're talking now, you've gone from that team that was struggling to a team who've got a tasty 12 point lead at the top of the premiership have you allowed yourself any time to pat yourself on the back to say well done to even for a
1: moment take a breath and and enjoy it the players are the ones ultimately yes all the coaching team that's the support staff around the team everybody there is is working really hard and 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 I say thank you to them for all their hard work. And I probably don't say that enough. And I'll probably contradict myself because I said gratitude is important. Um, the players are the ones that each week go out there and have the opportunity. They're the ones who've got to jump right in. They're the ones who you can either dip the toe in or just jump right in. They're the ones who have got the opportunity to to do things special. And we're trying to help them do it and enjoy that journey with them. So the, I said on Saturday night in the change rooms afterwards, you know, I thank you for all your hard work. You should be real proud of yourself. And, and I talk about that when you're looking in the mirror the next morning, what are you, what are you going to see? What are you going to think? So I think when you look in the mirror in the morning, you should be very proud of yourselves. You just, so let's, let's keep feeling that way. Let's keep doing that.
0: Brilliant. Look Steve, we've reached the point in our interview where we have some quick fire questions at the end um and the people that listen to the podcast love hearing people's answers to this one and the first one is always what are your three non-negotiables that you and the people around you need to buy into the areas where you just can't compromise
3: number
1: one fight it's probably come through in the interview um number two it's probably work I, i don't mind us making mistakes um, I really don't mind. I don't mind us if we if we don't win, it's all right. It's not happy, but you're all right. But you can't ever be through lack of effort. So you're a fight, you've got to work really, really hard and, and you, you've got to want to get better and help the people around you get better. So I suppose that probably comes to the next thing is when someone comes in, they're either giving energy or they're taking it, just nothing's neutral. So you've got to give energy. You've got to give energy to, it. you walk in a room, you got to give energy to that room. You can't take energy away from it. If you could go back to
2: one moment in time, what would it be and why?
1: I'd probably I'd go back to when I was a young player. Tell myself to be a bit more empathetic because I wasn't. I'd probably go. Um, I'd probably go back to try not to be a perfectionist because there's no doubt in, in what I've said here. I, I believe in what I've said to you guys, but I'm a perfectionist, and that's that's a, that can be a challenge. So you're always as a, as a guy. I'm coaching myself as well. So if I could go back and not not be that perfectionist, except we are imperfect. We're going to make mistakes. And I hate making mistakes, but it's part of life. So, and I, and I say that to the players, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to make mistakes. I don't want to, I promise you. So I'd probably go back to some point in my younger self and talk about that. Very good.
0: Um, Steve, have you got a book that you'd recommend our audience read that has impacted
1: you? Favourite book is The Alchemist. Why is that? just someone on a journey, I read it lots of times, just re- resilience and, and you question yourself on that journey and you question yourself through whether to keep going on that journey, is it really worth it? You go through tough times and you go, is this worth it? And just keep going on the journey. Um, trust in your, so, so not losing sight of where you're trying to get to. The ability to trust, trust your your gut feel, trust if you keep doing things right, if you keep doing things what you believe in, if you keep working hard, then maybe events will conspire to come in your way. So the law of attraction, that's just I love about that that book. And um, so I read that a lot of times. And then second one would probably go Zen in the martial arts. Just so many lessons, so many lessons in life.
2: And how important is legacy to you, Steve?
1: Uh, so one, I, I don't think about legacy. I can honestly say I don't I don't think about that at all. Um what I'd, I'd like to think about is that w- that the people you interact with are better for their interaction with you. There's a, you've left some positive effect in some way. It, it doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant, because sometimes coaching you know, is tough. Sometimes he, me and a player, it's not all sweetness and light. Sometimes you have tough conversations, but the fact that there's going to be a positive effect there, and that, that comes to the, the probably the... The biggest question I was asked was um, once, would you want your sons to be coached by you? And it was the best question I've ever been asked, because the time when that person asked me that question uh, it was 2016 it was July 2016 he asked me that question, and unequivocally the answer to that question I could guarantee it then was absolutely no absolutely no you're right, wow so then what, what do I want? oh yeah so then you start, it goes into another discussion so I won't go into that but you're right I've got to assess my coaching here and what I've going to do differently what would you say now? Um, sometimes so I'm better than I was but I'm not where I need to be
0: still a work in progress like all of us um, the final question and this is kind of your last message to the people listening to this podcast um, something to leave them thinking about what would you say is your final golden rule to living a high performance life? I'd
1: almost go back to the, to the start. You go through this period where you uh, try to be better and you repeat a mistake and you, you're gutted with yourself for doing it and you're just going to continue to try to be better and, and making mistakes. And, and it doesn't mean it's the end. It's just another part of the journey that you just got to keep learning from. So I'll just keep... Uh, I think what I'd encourage people to do is jump right in, go back to my boys and, and the paddling pool. And just to encourage people, jump right in, because it's the quickest way to learn. Um, so, there, yeah, that's that's it. Sorry, I don't have anything more prophetic than that.
0: Doesn't need to be. That's the title for this episode, Damien. Don't dip your toe in the water, I think. is. Uh, you know what, Steve, it's been such an interesting conversation, because the whole point of this was about giving people lessons in regards to learning from your experience. And I think that, you know, when you talk about the player that... Played for all those years and then the player that captained his country and played for England in a difficult time and went to Saracens and then still found time to go and do a degree and do work experience with Lloyds and then off to Japan and now you end up at Leicester. I just get, not only do I get a sense of someone who's grown everywhere he's gone along the way, but I also get a sense of someone who probably for for too long was too hard on himself. And although he still holds himself to a very high standard, he's probably learned that empathy and kindness to yourself and to those around you is most likely the single most important element to life and to rugby
1: yeah um, you've got the words that I don't I can't necessarily put into words what what I feel more, and I wish I could do that better I think from, from I played about 450 games of top flight rugby and I remember in any great detail 10 of them roughly 10 and they're pretty much all losses and um, because that was what stands out to me, and that's what, and and and, and I go through periods in my career where you just you're thinking, I don't want to be criticised. I don't want, to. and I say, so what I say to my players right now is, uh, I'm trying to tell them the mistakes I made. I don't want them to make because I can, I can tell. I'm not quite sure how to do it, but I know how not to do it a lot of the time. So I want the players to enjoy what they do. Uh, we are privileged to do what we do and I'm privileged to work with a really good group of players we've got lots to learn and we're going to make mistakes along the way but I'm not going to um, hang on to those mistakes I want to try and learn from them fast
0: and we're, uh, we're privileged to have, uh, to have shared an hour with you so thank you so much for taking the time Steve thank you very much Damien Jake I really enjoyed his three non-negotiables at the end there fight, graft, but also the energy you bring to the room. And I think that for someone who captained his country and for someone that had fight so high up on his agenda and for someone who was teaching his Japanese teammates how to grapple and wrestle and scrap with people, he had a real, almost a gentleness about the way that he speaks and the way he sees
2: the world. Do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah, definitely. I thought he was incredibly humble that came across from his first answer uh, right the way through to his final answer, that not anyone that's claiming he's got the answers, but happy to reflect on just a really rich and varied experience of of a life well lived. And I think also
0: a really good reminder to people that that listen to this that we sort of see someone who's an England captain or an England player as having made it, or someone who's a professional rugby player. Oh, they've made it. They've got here's someone who's you know in his forties and is in you know the seventh or eighth role in his career. Only now is he learning how to speak to people and how to get the best out of them. Like, I just want people listening to this to understand, don't write yourself off when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50. We've all got time.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really powerful message. I also think what really comes across there and that I think we can all learn from is the work that happens in the shadows, that reference that when Steve was captain at Saracens, they have an acronym on their wall that says the shit that nobody sees is what really counts. And I think the work that he's done in the shadows there to improve himself to whether that's going and doing that work experience when he was still being a rugby player or whether it's the willingness to go into Japanese culture and learn about communication or as we're hearing here, you know, that first meeting in the stands at Welford Road with his uh, Leicester squad is a really powerful message that don't be blinded by the outcome, but focus on the process and that work in the shadows is what's going to get you to your own definition of high performance.
0: Yes, brilliant. And he's clearly passing it on. I love the fact that The Alchemist is the first book he read to his kids. I mean, that is that is someone passing on a high performance mindset right there, Damien.
2: I love that book myself. I, on World Book Day recently, I said that was one of my favourite books. Um, I think it's a really powerful metaphor and I think it's a great example of the journey that Steve's on as well of self-discovery. And there
0: it is, the final episode of the Gallagher Leadership Series. Thank you all so much for tuning in, listening and enjoying this with us. I just want to say that without Gallagher really wanting to help make a difference for you, this simply wouldn't have happened. And this isn't just, you know, let's put Gallagher's name on the episode so they can sponsor it and they can get a bit of advertising. They genuinely want to make a difference. Um, They're helping leaders to perform. At the top of their game and also underlining the importance of having a strong network of trusted advisors. In fact, they've launched the Gallagher Leaders Trust, which is a mentoring network for directors of rugby and head coaches across 13 premiership rugby clubs. And I think the important thing is that it doesn't matter what your business, it doesn't matter where you're a leader, It is a challenge, and it can be lonely, and it can be hard. And therefore, to have these kinds of conversations, to realise that there is some truth in that old phrase, tough at the top, there is truth in that. And to have these conversations, I think, has been really powerful. So, Gallagher, thank you so much for being involved in these episodes. And if you're listening to this and you want to find out more about Gallagher, just check out ajg.com forward slash UK. That's ajg.com forward slash UK. UK. But that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget we're back next week with another brand new episode of the High Performance Podcast. In fact, here's a sneak listen at what you can hear. Come on your way on Monday. See what you think.
3: If there's one rule I have in life, it's it's be curious. Um, complacency is the enemy of creativity and so many other things in, in, in life, right? And so with my kids, it's like every trip we took, um, every every time we traveled as a family, it was about what are we going to see? Who are we gonna meet? Um, what are we gonna do? And let's talk about those experiences and let's appreciate the opportunities we have to learn. Being a lifelong learner. You mentioned Kobe Bryant. Unbelievable curiosity, boundless. And the fact that any time he walked into a room um, where we were to talk about you know, a brand strategy, or or a campaign, the fact that he was the one delivering the insights and the points of inspiration to us that he found through new emerging technology or architecture or entertainment. As he's going for his fifth championship, he's finding the time to soak up everything around him. And then, like any great teacher, wants to, you know, um, not just bottle it up, but share it with you. Sounds good, hey?
0: Listen, remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. Be your own biggest cheerleader and make world-class basics your calling card for the next few days. As always, huge thanks to Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio. Thanks to Will. Thanks to Hannah. Thanks to Gemma. Thanks to Eve. Thanks to everyone for their hard work to create these episodes of the High Performance Podcast. But most of all, thanks to you, Thanks for listening. Thanks for talking about it. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for sharing it. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for helping us grow to millions and millions of listens every single month. Have a great day. Go and chase high performance.